This is Beta Cell, a show about people living with type 1 diabetes. I'm Craig Steuben. In the summer of 2017, the nonprofit Beyond Type 1 put together a team of 20 people with type 1 diabetes from around the world to bike from New York to San Francisco over 10 weeks in an effort to raise money and, more importantly, awareness for what it means to live with type 1. This is the beginning of a series where I interview members of Team Bike Beyond to figure out what compelled them to sign up for this team and how the journey has changed them since. This first episode is with Cassidy, who has spent her whole life listening to her father tell stories from when he biked across the country at 22 years old. Now she has her own to share, too. What's your first memory of having diabetes? No one's ever asked me this question before. Because um, you were diagnosed at two. I was diagnosed at two. So you don't remember being diagnosed. You probably don't remember the first few years of having diabetes. No. Oh, my gosh, no. Absolutely not. Um, in third grade, there was two classrooms that were connected and there was like a little hallway between the two of them. And I had to go into the hallway and that's where I would like test my blood sugar. And there was a big, like, my mom had like put a box of snacks, basically like a, when I was a kid, there was always like a clear box of snacks in like every one of my classrooms. You asking that, like, I literally have, like, a very keyed-in visual memory of, like, being low, getting up from my desk, testing my blood sugar, and drinking two juice boxes in that middle, like, corridor. That's third grade. Hmm. And then in fifth grade, in fifth grade, I had a seizure while we were at recess. I was playing... Um, handball with my friend Sarah and I remember like playing handball things going blurry and then I remember waking up and I was like on the table in the nurse's office and my mom was there yeah those are like my two like youngest diabetes memories and I've only had I've had three seizures in my entire life and that was like the first one. Another one, sixth grade. Sixth grade during PE, we were running. PE, man. This is why diabetics shouldn't exercise, says lady who rode bike cross country. Um, in sixth grade, we were running. And I like, I remember like I stopped running because I felt like I couldn't move. I was like barely walking. And two of my friends grabbed me and just, like, I can remember them, like, holding my arms, like, taking me to the nurse's office. And this, like, really, really nice girl, Leanne, just, like, saying, is she okay? And they were like, no, no, she's not okay. And she knew I was diabetic. And I remember her saying, does she want my Skittles? <laughs> they were like, we're going to the nurse. Thanks. But like, I can, that's like my visual memory of that moment is like, I can remember Leanne McConkie yelling, does she want my Skittles? <laughs> Cause probably in my brain, I was like, yes, I do. I need them. But like I needed glucagon. At what point did you take over 
your sort of diabetes management from your parents managing it for you? Um, I was like, it was like when I went to sixth grade. Um, I've been to diabetes camp one time and it was like when I was like about 10 years old. It was like between fifth and sixth grade. And basically the idea was that my parents like sent me to camp so that I could learn to give an insulin injection. Hmm. So I went to camp. My older brother went with me and my mom and my aunt. And I don't remember really much from camp, except that they had a pool that was like dirty that I didn't want to swim in. And I remember like sitting in, like sitting in a room practicing on oranges like practicing saline injections on oranges. And we came back from camp and my dad wasn't with us. And so like my dad wanted to like see if I was ready. And he was like cutting down this giant tree in the front yard that we used to have. And I remember I was like sitting on the, like the brick fence for hours, just like with a bucket of water next to me, a syringe in my hand and an orange over and over and over again practicing giving injections so it was like when I was 10 I like took it and it, it really like it was mine when I took over management it was mine which is fascinating to reflect on because I had no idea what I was doing like I said like the doctor there was I didn't learn what an insulin to carb ratio was until I was in college doctor just said like you give this shot of long acting at like this time of day. I honestly don't even remember at what time of day. And then twice a day, once in the morning and once at night, you give this, it was Novolog that I was on. Like you give this shot of Novolog this many units, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Cause like that has nothing to do with managing the way that we manage type 1 diabetes now. But like, so basically from like 10 until I was either 14 or 15, the insulin pen mm -hmm. was out now. And it was like, carry this around with you at all times. And before you eat, you give however many units. It was never an insulin to carb ratio. It was always like, well, before you eat, you give like three units. You give two units, you give five units, you give whatever it is. And I was like, okay, I can do that. And that was too much for me when I was 15, 14, 15. Way too much for me. So, like, I just stopped. I stopped being a diabetic. I didn't want to be one anymore. And I didn't understand, like, why I was doing anything. I didn't want to. I didn't feel good and so I just, like, stopped doing everything. So what I would do, basically, like, 15, 16, 17, I would test my blood sugar once every few days. The meter would read high, and I'd give 20 units of insulin. And then I wouldn't test my blood sugar give insulin for another, like, three days. That's insane. I can say it's insane because it's me. Like, if I heard someone else was doing that right now, I'd be like, super super nervous about them but be like there's like an educational moment of like do you know what diabetes is 
do you know what diabetes is and you're just in burnout? Do you like conceptually understand how insulin works or what insulin is or why you need it? But back then it was just like, oh, this diabetes thing. I don't want to do it. And so I'm not going to unless I feel absolutely awful. I think I was using like a one touch ultra meter. So I think the high on the one touch ultra meters was five or 600. And my meter just said high for years, for like three years, which is nuts. And then I just like, I give 20 units of insulin at a time and just plummet. Even if you're that high, you still just like go super low. So it's like, I like walked her around. It's amazing to me that like, that I like grad, that I like did really well in high school, like had a good GPA. That I like was the editor of the high school yearbook that I like, I played sports. Like I was a softball player. I had friends. I was like a really, like, I think I was kind of fun to hang out with for a little while. It's amazing to me that any of that could have happened in like the actual like way that my body was. Why do you think you didn't want to be a diabetic anymore? when you were in high school? What ended up happening to me, and this really only came about because I started talking to some of my LGBT friends about like their coming out experiences. Mm -hmm. I think that I was having this experience of like essentially coming out as a diabetic. Once I started like giving those injections myself, a couple years go by and then in high school, all of a sudden it hit me really hard that I wasn't like everybody else. Because my parents have never, ever in my life told me that I can't do anything. And so, like, my parents, they didn't raise me different than my brothers. They didn't raise me different than my friends. They never, I was never withheld from doing anything, which is amazing. But what happened is, like, in this moment as a teenager, I had this, like, almost, like, awestruck moment of, like, oh, you mean everyone's not doing this math in their head all the time. Everyone's not going through like poking and prodding despite the fact that I wasn't counting carbs. When I looked at a plate of food, I felt I was like reacting to pain because I knew there was an injection. Like for, as a child, I called my mother Cruella for like the majority of my childhood because she stuck me with needles all the time, right? Like I used to tell my father I hated him. And I don't hate my father. He's literally my best friend. Like, but I told him I hated him because he stuck me with needles all the time because they had to live for me. And so like when I get to being a teenager, I finally have this moment where I understand that I'm different. That like these things I go through are not things that anyone else goes through. And like I didn't have any diabetic friends. And so like in high school, like in this moment, I like come to realize like, oh, I'm different. And that sucks. Being different, especially like when your difference is associated with physical pain, the physical pain of being injected with a needle is like, oh, that's awful. What if I try not being different? What if I just decide that like, I don't know. And like, it went well because, like, I didn't accidentally kill myself by doing, by not managing diabetes. Like, it didn't go that well because I felt terrible. I felt so awful all the time. Did your parents know you weren't managing your diabetes? 
No, I lied about it. They knew because you can't hide your A1C, right? And so my A1C for years was like in the 11s, 12s, 13s. In the doctor's office with my mother, she knew that I'd been lying when before dinner my dad would say like, did you test? Yeah. What were you? 120. Did you give your insulin? Yeah. Okay, are you ready for dinner? Do you want to wait? Oh, I'm ready. I just lied. I lied for years and years and years and years. Uh, there was like a moment in my life where I said, I have to like stop actually lying to my parents. If you think about it in like the scary kind of situation I had put myself in, in diabetes management back then and like diabetes like on management, the only people that ever could have saved my life were my parents if they needed to. And I lied to them for years every single day about like, the potential for them to have to do that was there at all times. And I, because I was lying to them about giving, testing my blood sugar and what it was and whether or not I had given insulin, they didn't know how like close that was to having to be called on. Now I'm like, that's a really rude thing to do. It's really rude that my parents were probably like a half step away from like having to save their kid's life. And I was like, just lying to them about, like, not giving them the info about how close they were. That's so crappy. Did you ever tell them that you'd been lying to them? Oh, yeah. Totally, yeah. My junior year of high school, I go to Winter Formal, and then we were taking photos, and I couldn't breathe. I thought my dress was too tight. So I take my best friend into the bathroom, and I'm like, can you, like, un can you, like just undo part of this dress? I can't breathe. She was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And, like, it didn't help. I was like, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. My parents were there and they said, well, like, what's your blood sugar? And I was like, I don't know. They're like, okay, we'll test it. Like, I don't have my meter. That was the moment. And they were like, you don't have your meter? You're going off to winter formal and you don't have your meter? And I was like, no, it's at Kelsey's house, my best friend. Like, Why would you leave your meter at Kelsey's house? Like, you don't look good. And I was like, I had to sit down. Like, I literally could not breathe. Um, so this is the moment, I think, where my dad kind of, like, got what was really going on in, like, all my lying was that he said, okay, you guys all, we're Orange County kids and we think we're cool. You guys get in your limo. And then instead of going to dance, the limo's going to follow my car and we're going to go to Kelsey's house and we're going to test your blood sugar. So, like, a limo full of all these, like, high school kids who are, like, they're my friends but like how embarrassing is that? The limo like follows my father's car. We go to my best friend's house, test my blood sugar and it's high. It's the first time my dad's like actually seen that happen because I've been lying and telling him my blood sugar is perfectly in range for years at this point, two years. He was like, well, you're not going to the dance. I lost it, right? Because I wanted to be a regular kid and it was winter formal. Um, and so we like gave insulin and he like, right then and there made my best friend and we've been best friends since kindergarten, like made her promise that she would physically test my blood sugar and call him and tell him what it was every hour throughout the entire night. Cause he knew I wouldn't do it. And that's what we did. We tested my, she came, got me on the dance floor every hour on the hour. We test my blood sugar, called my dad and it just like high, 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 high until like the next morning. Like, if that was happening to me now, if I had my meter read high right now, I'd go immediately to the hospital. 
And instead, we just like gave me, I gave a little bit of insulin and a little bit of insulin and a little bit of insulin. My senior year of high school, I said like, I need to start taking insulin. Something in me was like, I know what I'm doing is wrong. During this time, like every few days, maybe I'd give my Lantus injection, right? Like there was no insulin in me. I didn't have basal. I didn't have fast acting. I had nothing. So like my senior year, I said, I'm going to at least, if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to take my basal. Like I'm going to take my Lantus. So every single night I took my Lantus. Never missed it. And then I go to like start college and I went for my like eye exam. And they said like, you have a hemorrhage in your left eye. What does that mean? They said, well, like when you close your eye, like you can see a little, like, do you see a dot floating there? And I was like, yeah, I do. I was with Kaiser. And so they could see my entire like medical record, like all my history. And the ophthalmologist like came, he left the room and then like came back into the room. And he was like, I wasn't like sure how to have this conversation with you. Oh God. What does that mean? Like, no, like 18, I think 19 years old. Um, and he said, like very blunt. He said, if you continue managing your diabetes the way you are, you're going to be blind by the time you're 30. And I was like, Ugh. it's like having that air knocked out of you. Cause like the only thing I want in my entire universe is to be outside. It's the thing I love doing is being outside because everything's gorgeous outside. There's so many leaves and trees and birds and like, come on, who doesn't love a sunset and a sunrise? I, I was like, had my eyes dilated, so I couldn't drive myself home. So he tells me this, and then I have to sit in the waiting room while my eyes, like my pupils go back to normal so I can drive home. So I'm like sitting here with this info, like slow tears every now and then, and then anger for like an hour and a half or something, like sitting in the waiting room. Um, and then that night, I remember I like went to a huge party with all my friends. I got completely drunk and went outside and bawled my eyes out against my friend's garage because I like it fine I was like I don't want to be blind and if that means that I have to be a diabetic I'm going to be a diabetic tomorrow and it was literally like the next day like started looking at insulin pumps on the internet like started like deep diving on like what is diabetes it was the next day that I started like I literally googled what is diabetes I started caring about myself enough to like manage well. Big giant change in your life to decide like, well, all this insulin dosing and all this carb counting, all the exercise I'm doing and all the desserts I'm choosing not to eat because I don't want to ride the roller coaster of them. All of those decisions are worth it because I'm worth that. It's My life is worth feeling good for. It's like very nice to walk around your universe and like enjoy your life to like laugh and joke and actually like, I wake up in the morning with a freaking smile on my face. Like if you would have told 16 year old me that that was possible, she like would have like slammed her door right in your face. Like put on some punk rock music and just like shut you out, right? It's such a big giant marker of change. My complicated diabetes life. You know, even though the eye hemorrhage is what triggered this, mm -hmm. It seems like what it really was is you just learning to love yourself almost and be like, I'm worth this. I'm I'm worth the shots, right? The All those shots that your parents were giving you that you hated them for, mm -hmm. you finally realized that, I don't know, 
you had to do it. It was worth doing. Mm-hmm. That that pain every day was, you know, for some greater good, maybe. Well, I think it like it comes back to despite the fact that this body I inhabit is different from the body that most of my friends and family inhabit, right? Despite the fact that like that living experience is different, it doesn't mean it's less worth worthy of love. Which like from my fans and friends and family, all I've ever received is love from them, right? Like I'm so thankful for them all the time for that. But yeah, like going through going through that moment of recognizing my different body is just as worthy of my love as if it were a regular body. And now in the advanced state of that, my question is always like, well, what is a regular body? Does a regular body exist? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, then you really like, once you get to that point, you can see way further past like how silly it is. All that it took to get there was so serious to accept something that was like, nobody's body is normal. What is normal? It doesn't exist. But it does when you're a person who's like, when you're a person who like lives with disease, especially an invisible one, that was like bike beyond. There was this gorgeous moment in Ohio pile where it was like all 20 of us sitting in this river with our feet in the water with devices of all kinds all over us. And like, there was no hesitation in just like hopping in your bathing suit and hopping in the water and sitting around. The next day I was like, I didn't once think about my devices. I didn't once think like, oh, I wonder if those people sitting over there with their dog are gonna think we're weird. Not once, because we were like the power crew in that moment. If anyone sitting in that river wanted to be anyone, people wanted to be us and not the other way around. Mm -hmm. Because we were the ones in the middle of changing the world in our small little way. Why wouldn't everyone else want to be like us? I typically think the opposite, which would be like, oh, sometimes I'd give anything just to have like a normal functioning body. And in that moment, I, I didn't want a normal functioning body. I was really proud to be part of this crew of hunky device wearers who like have a dead organ floating around inside of them. <laughs> Has your relationship with your parents changed since you started taking better control of your diabetes? Mm. Yes. My parents are like my best friends. Um, and I think what allowed us to actually be as close as we are, which is extremely close, is the fact that having better management meant I wasn't hiding or lying to them anymore. And also, like, generally, my mood changed. When I was a teenager, I was horrible to be around. I was, like, so moody. Like, my parents are saints for like dealing with me in that state. And then like my two brothers who were also very moody, like we are emotional kids and just like having better management really tempered my anger because I just feel better. My parents were really, really supportive of Bike Beyond. Your dad did a 
the trip? Yes. So the whole reason I wanted to do Bike Beyond at all is because my dad cycled cross country when he was 22. Starting like two years before Bike Beyond, um, like when I moved to New York, I'd kind of said it to like some of my more adventurous friends. Like, hey, like, probably be pretty fun to go on a bike tour across America. And all my friends laughed at me because they're like, you don't even ride a bike. Why would you want to ride a bike across America? You won't ride your bike like five minutes down the street and back. But then like the option to do Bike Beyond was presented, right? Like they called for applicants and it was like, I just didn't hesitate. And I didn't realize how badly want to like have this thing in common with my father. And not until right now was it ever possible for me, which is like, that's not true. Like I didn't need Bike Beyond to cycle cross country. I didn't have to have it. Like I know a lot of diabetics who have cycled cross country now, some of them this summer, some of them previously in their lives, but like a diabetic can go and cycle cross country. I just didn't realize that I wanted the safety of other diabetics to do it until like Bike Beyond was presented as an opportunity. So when I told my, when we like got accepted to the team, December 23rd last year, and I was like with my parents for Christmas, I'd flown in. And so I like told them and they were nothing but supportive. And also they were like, well, you better learn how to ride a bike. Do you think going from that winter formal when your blood sugar was high, your dad dragged you and all your friends, your friends house test your blood sugar to you now to finishing this bike ride that your dad went on. Do you think part of that desire to do the bike ride was like to prove to him that like, you're all right now, like you can do this. I've never thought about it that way. Um, yeah, probably it was a big thing for me moving to New York to like live on the opposite side of the country from the, from them with no one around. Like, yes, I have like my East coast family, but to be separated in an emergency from my parents is a big deal. And I think they were really nervous about me going to New York because they probably didn't trust me. Part of them probably still didn't trust me with my own management. Um, And then I was there for two years and I did really well and my management had never been better. This moment of like following my dad's tire tracks. Yeah, it's probably a big one in my parents' journey with diabetes for the fact that like I was out on the road and they've never been the kind of parents that will call and just ask me what my blood sugar is. But even just like hearing from me every three or four days in the middle of like putting my body through the ultimate like test, they were totally fine, right? Like they trusted me enough with myself to just like let me have it. So let me like live out this adventure while I was in it.
Betazel is produced, recorded, and edited by me, Craig Steubing, and our theme music is by Purple Glitter. Be sure to subscribe to Betacell wherever you listen to podcasts to get new episodes delivered automatically to you. If you love Betacell, you can support us financially at any amount at our Patreon page. Visit Betacell podcast forward slash supporters for more information. We even have some awesome Betacell swag to send you as a thanks. For more information about Bike Beyond, or if you want to attend a viewing or even host your very own screening of the Bike Beyond documentary, visit bikebeyond.org. I'm Craig Steubing, and this is Beta Cell.